Fuck here, I'm giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Do you need an 
awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son. Happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other. Until the internet falls apart. Oh, podcast God, I can't wait to listen to all these great comedy shows and everything else that's cool and puny radio.fm before the internet falls apart. You too won't want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF. 
PBR, the Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal SF? Visual and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go www.subliminalsf.com for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen. Graphic design for every need and live music promotion at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak ceiling. Yes. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Yeah. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! 499. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. 
when Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk. Come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment where in both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco.
Hello, and welcome to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. It's not all that we're saying, but it's, it's one of the big things that we're saying here. Give peace a chance. That's what everybody wants. Actually, last weekend at Earth Day San Francisco, I got to be one of the speakers, which was, I was very honored to be. And, uh, you know, my, my radio name is Global Val, and there's a few reasons for that. And one of the reasons is I've, I've been to 17 different countries, and what I've found as a, as a common thread, so to speak, uh, around the world is that people want people want basically the same things. They want happiness, they want peace, and they want health for their families and communities. And that's something that I think we have the capabilities of achieving in the 21st century. And so I'm dedicating today's women's magazine on mutinyradio.fm to the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. They go by the acronym WILPF which is kind of hard to say, W-I-L-P-F, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And they have been uh, a, an international women's organization for 100 years. They formed out of the ashes of World War I and have been working together ever since. And uh, one of our friends, actually, Alexandria Rain-Smith, you could find her on Facebook. She's a poet. She was part of a, a WILP um, summit last summer. And this year, she was invited to The Hague for the one, for the for the centennial, the, the 100th anniversary of WILP, and, uh, which just happened this past week. And she was one of the, well, I'm calling her the keynote poet because she was invited to, to perform her poetry. So thank you to Alex Alexandria Rain-Smith for being my liaison to WILP and um, op opening this door for all of us here to, uh, to, to gain from what that organization has to say. Being that it is 100 years old, that means World War I was 100 years ago. Um, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom met, and they created a manifesto to reiterate and to augment and clarify some of their, some of their key beliefs and, and uh, what they're working towards for the next 100 years of peace building in the world. So today, I'd like to read for you that manifesto, the 2015 Women's International League for Peace and Freedom Manifesto. Here we go, folks. We, members of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, on the centenary of our foundation, pay tribute to the courageous and far-sighted women who, amid the carnage of the First World War, took a bold initiative for peace and brought our movement into being. We affirm their belief that women have a particular interest in stopping war and particular skills we can bring to the task. We remain convinced that the achievement of peace and the achievement of equality and justice for all people, together with the full inclusion and representation of women in all our diversity, are inseparable goals. After 100 years that have brought another world war, five times more deadly than the first, the invention of the most destructive weapons ever known, increasing militarism, and the emergence of new kinds of armed actor and conflict, 
We renew WILP's commitment to eradicating war by addressing its root causes. Among them, we identify the following. Root causes of war, everybody, according to WILP. <clears throat> Number one, militarism as a way of thought and the militarization of societies such that perceived threats are likely to be met with weaponry rather than words. Global Val side note, take note of what's going on in the conversation in our country right now with police brutality. Number two, the capitalist economic system involving the exploitation of labor and resources by the many, of the many, by the few, wantonly harming people and the environment, generating conglomerates of global reach and unaccountable power. Global Val side note, pay attention to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP uh, quote-unquote free trade agreement that our Congress is trying to fast-track through right now, which would just decimate, uh, well, business, society, environment around the world as, as, as it would uh, institute basically corporate tribunals in, 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 in member states or member countries who would, ever si who would sign on to the TPP. So basically, if you have a big corporation that is extracting some natural resources or using uh, local labor in a, in a country, and that the people in that country or the government of that country decide that this corporation has been violating some sort of environmental laws or some sort of labor laws, there's going to they they would set up a special court, special tribunal, uh, th whereby the 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 judges of that of of that tribunal, uh, in, independent of anything else, are actually spend part of their time as the lawyers for the corporations. So I mean, come on, do we, do we not see the the, the writing, bloody writing on the wall? All right, let me get back to Wilp's. Uh, <laughs> root causes of war. Number three, the nation-state system as it is today, involving dominant states, imperialist projects, interstate rivalry, occupation, contested borders, and inside those borders, all too often, failure of democracy, political repression, and intolerance of diversity. Again, folks, let's look around. Have walls ever really helped anybody other than to uh, throw rocks at them or, throw or, or shoot bombs over them? It doesn't stop anything. It just creates more war and more division. And if we look at even in our country right now, which, you know, we have so much pride that it was founded on the freedom of religion. Well, since 9-11, how much anti-Islam uh, Anti-Islamic Islamophobia has has come up in our, in our society around dinner tables and in our institutionalized police state. Uh, you know, thousands of, of of Muslim Americans were rounded up after 9/11 and falsely imprisoned. And now it's we see it so much in, in our in, in our mainstream media and everything. And we just have to remember. Diversity is a beautiful thing, and we can all get along, even though we have different ideas. I think that's I think that's where we're going here. Number four, social systems of racist supremacy, cultural domination, and religious hierarchy. All right. Number five or six, 
as a root cause of war, according to the Women's International League of Peace and Freedom. Patriarchy, the subordination of women by men in state, community, and family, perpetuated by the social shaping of men and women into contrasted, unequal, and limiting gender identities, favoring violent masculinities and compliant femininities. We understand these as intersected and mutually reinforcing systems of power, all founded on violence and together productive of war. We undertake with urgency the strive to strive creatively to bring about before another hundred years have passed total worldwide disarmament. Economic systems that will deliver well-being to every human being and other life forms on this precious planet. Multilateral organizations capable of mediating between states and guaranteeing international law. Democratic governance from local to global level. Social systems that accord no privilege to people or peoples of a given physical type, culture, or religion. And the end of male supremacy radical change in the way we live gender and the fulfillment of women's rights and human rights. Violence is not inevitable. It's a choice. Let me read that again. Violence is not inevitable. It is a choice. We choose nonviolence as means and as end. We will liberate the strength of women and in partnership with like-minded men, bring to birth a just and harmonious world. We will implement peace, which we believe to be a human right. We will implement peace, which we believe to be a human right. And that is the beginning of WILP's 2015 100-year anniversary manifesto. Manifesto, what manifesto?
everyone. You are listening to Women's Magazine with Global Val. And you've been listening to an episode of Women's Magazine from April 24th of 2015. So I want to thank Pam Tastic for getting that podcast on. And uh, But today I'm actually here live. It is April 29th, 2016. So happy Friday, everybody. Recording live here from MutinyRadio.fm here in the Mission District of San Francisco, right there on the corner of 21st and Florida. It's a community resource for independent voices, local musicians, poets, activists, and all sorts of cool folks and artists. We've got some new art up in our gallery space right now, kind of a patchwork quilt work of uh, various characters and, uh, and messages. So Mutiny Radio is an evolving organism, and we're here in the community doing this for you and your voice uh, to be heard. And also so that if even if you, uh, you know, maybe you're just looking for something alternative to mainstream media, well, you have stumbled upon the right station. Mutiny Radio prides itself in putting out unique voices and supporting the freedom of speech. And being that it is National Poetry Month, April, we got to celebrate the poetic practice of free speech in the First Amendment last night, right in the halls of government at San Francisco City Hall. It was the 11th annual Poems Under the Dome, where we have this, we, co- we lovingly refer to it as the mother of all open mics, but it also has a featuring essentially um, community representative poets from around the city. So the organizers go around to different open mics in advance and uh, do free lottery name draws uh, to try to guarantee someone from each of those reading series to be represented at City Hall. And then we also have a big lucky green hat that you can put your own name in the back and uh, for a spot to read. And it was a really beautiful night last night at City Hall. I would say the majority of the chairs were filled, but uh, definitely the room was filled and, and there was a lot of great energy in there. And, you know, as I walked in today here to Mutiny Radio to hear that podcast playing from last year, uh, reading about the, the WILP manifesto, <laughs> the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, W-I-L-P-F, which is hard to say, WILP. Um, r- listen, listening to that broadcast from last year, it just reminded me that, wow, so many of these issues are still relevant today. Um, I know it was just a year ago, but you'd think that we could, you know, be maybe moving in a, in, in a you know, faster pace past, past some of these problems, but, you know, a few months go by in a flash. So not, we're still dealing with an, an, a nationwide issue about police brutality um, police killings right now in the mission district on 17th and uh, Valencia where the mission police station is we've had a group of residents here San Franciscans who have been staging a hunger strike in front of the police station to try to get them to uh, a- acknowledge that the police have been killing predominantly people of brown and black skin and uh, in, you know, young, young people and in, in many cases in situations where it seemed that the person who was shot and killed by police posed little to no threat 
to anyone. Um, and so those hunger strikers are actually calling for the mayor, Ed Lee, to either step down himself or to fire the current police chief, Chief uh, Greg Sewer. And yeah, a hunger strike. I mean, hunger strikes are something that you that you hear about like happening inside prisons, you know, where people can't get out. So they're subject to all these rules and, and and uh, conditions, um, but these are actual just citizens who live here in San Francisco and are fed up and and just highly, highly concerned about the state of affairs here in San Francisco in terms of the police and their relationship with the public. Um, now, I don't have the latest update. I know that they were, as of yesterday, they had been there for seven days. And then um, I only got a brief moment to check in yesterday and it looked like the police had started to erect barriers outside to try to drive them off. I'm not sure what the update is right now, but um, this is making you know national, international news. I know that the Huffington Post did an article about it. Um, and of course, all our local local media outlets as well. But um, this is a, a significant, you know, attention getter because if you look across the nation, I mean, we just see it time and again of of young people, not of light colored skin, getting killed by police in situations where, you know posing little to no threat. Um, so I think what we're looking at here is about a shift of culture, um, shift of police culture. You know, this sh whole idea of shoot to kill is really out of control. I remember I, gr I grew up here in San Francisco and uh, not that old. I'm pretty, pretty young, actually. Uh, I grew up here in the 80s, born in the early 80s. And anyhow, I remember having police officers visit my classes for various reasons. They would do outreach, like, you know, they'd tell us about, you know, don't do drugs and um, tell us about the dangers of strangers. And, you know, they were actually doing like community outreach service, uh, trying to keep kids safe. And I'm sure that they still do those kinds of things. Um, but one of the things that I remember, and it, it was coming from the police officers themselves and also community members and my, fa my parents and teachers and all the, all the adults said, when the police stop you, if they police stop someone, they are not supposed to touch their weapons unless there is clear and present danger basically, you know, if someone's coming at them. And even in that situation, they're not going to shoot to kill, you know. They want to they disarm the person. They want to, you know, tamper the threat. And, and that was the policy. And, you know, so, so we've gone a very far, we've gone way far beyond that, where Every, so many people that I talk to, when they've had interactions with the police, often the police ha have their hand right there on their weapons, or people have had interactions with police, and, and these are nonviolent people. These are people who are just, you know, stopped for something or, you know, in, in a place where the p police had, had, had arrived, and actually had the police, you know, like actually, you know, wielding their weapons in these non violent non-conflictual situations so the the whole culture uh, and and policy of authority um for for what we refer to uh these days now tongue-in-cheek as peace officers you know who we would like to support 
We would like to have the peace officers and the good people in our community who want to serve this city and to serve the communities across the country and protect citizens. You know, I think we like that. Um, but obviously it's gotten um, quite out of control. So it just made me think about that with the, the Wilp manifesto uh, about, you know, police violence and, and also the environment. The environment. Uh, this last weekend, I had the the honor of being the MC for the Cesar Chavez Day Parade Festival, and also the Earth Day Festival, both uh, here in the Mission District. And uh, I had the real honor of introducing uh, the speakers who had been put together by Monica Lopez, um, who's been working a lot about l for labeled GMOs. We had really amazing people come out uh, the the theme of the day was sowing the seeds of change um, so we had we had Penny Opal Plant and Osprey Oriole Lake um, these are two women who are uh, dedicated to um, the rights of environment and indigenous peoples and and women and actually uh, Osprey is going to be calling into women's magazine next Friday which is May 6th um, but they have an event that's coming up tomorrow, and it is the Bay Area Rights of Nature Tribunal. What would the Delta say? So in, um, they're working to recognize the rights of nature in our laws, focusing on the draining of Delta waterways, Delta species extinctions, and the proposed Delta tunnels. It'll be featuring tribunal judges, including Joanna Macy, Gary Mul uh, Mulcahy, Shannon Biggs, and Tim Strochane. So that is tomorrow, Saturday, April 30th, from 9.30 a.m. to 2 p.m., with a discussion to follow at the Nick Rodriguez Community Center Theater. That is at 213 F Street in Antioch. Again, that's uh, the Nick Rodriguez Community Center Theater in Antioch. Um, and I've got their, the, the flyer here um, to explain it a little bit more. It says, our laws fail to respect nature's rights to exist, to thrive and evolve. Treating nature as merely resources harms people and the environment. The Bay Area Rights of Nature Tribunal is the first local tribunal modeled after the highly successful International Tribunal on the Rights of Nature, coinciding with the Paris Climate Talks. The tribunal will address violations of nature's rights and human rights caused by Delta water grabs. Join us in creating a new relationship with the Delta and the Earth. Admission is free, but you should RSVP. Uh, it actually, RSVP is required. Um, so you can register at therightsofnature.org slash what would the Delta say. Uh, what would the Delta say is divided by hyphen through each word. Um, they're also on Facebook, the Bay Area Rights of Nature Alliance. And if you want to get more details, you can contact, there's a couple people there you can contact, Lindy, uh, Linda Sheehan, that's lsheehan at earthlaw.org, or Shannon Biggs, that's shannon at movementrights.org. Um, so yeah, get out there and be part of this Bay Area Rights of Nature Tribunal. Um, there'll be a discussion, uh, collaboration on and solu discussing solutions and next steps and have insights from Bay Area ecological justice, human rights, local economy, indigenous women's and other groups. And that's presented again by the Bay Area Rights of Nature Alliance. 
bringing people together to advance nature's rights in the San Francisco Bay and Delta area. So here we are a year after the 100th anniversary of the Women's International League of Peace and Freedoms uh, re-released manifesto and we see that people are indeed working towards some of these goals in order to form a more peaceful healthy and thereby happy world thanks for listening to women's magazine with global val i'm really happy to be here i'm very grateful to be part of this uh, worldwide community and so let me play a little music for you it is national poetry month here's a little john trudell and it's called poetic motion you're listening to mutiny radio.fm every way every day turns some say our fates are sealed She isn't Barbie, but she's had her chance at plastic. She isn't hard, but she knows different some streets make. She isn't easy, but she's taken long search looking for love. She isn't young, but she's not as old as she feels at times. She isn't old, but she never really got over being young. She isn't running. She seemed rough in world too tough.
You are listening to Women's Magazine with Global Val here on MutinyRadio.fm. And I also want to let you know that we've come into the 21st century. I know it's 2016. I know, I know. But, um, you know, Mutiny Radio, we're a community station. So, you know, we've got a bunch of DJs here where we pay our dues and we piece things together and make sure that we all our equipment works and we've got the lights on and the doors can stay open pretty basic stuff we're not here making any money off of our broadcasting believe me but um you know and we produce of course a lot almost everything here is original or it's local music and and we get the blessing of of those who, who contribute their music to the show and their work to the shows um and so What's exciting in the 21st century part is that you can now listen to Women's Magazine and the Common Thread Collective, which comes up next with me and Diamond Dave and all our friends. You can now access that on Stitcher. Whatever, you know, I mean, if, if you're a Stitcher person, if you've got that app and you actually listen to other podcasts, you're awesome for listening to podcasts. And thank you for going through the mutinyradio.fm website, which, of course, also shows up at, as pcrcollective.org. Um, but now it can be super automatic. Uh, you can just go straight through in Stitcher. You can look up Women's Magazine. Global Val and the Common Thread Collective, and uh, you can subscribe, I believe, and listen whenever you want. So if that's a, a better feature for you and your friends, please go listen to us through there. Uh, we'd love we'd love to expand um, the access to this show. And uh, I want to take the next couple minutes and tell you about some events that are coming up. Um, Speaking of speaking of uh, looking at the environment and how we can save ourselves and the planet and all life on planet Earth. So on May 2nd, um, in Hayward, right there in the East Bay, it's going to be a fracking showdown at the Planning Commission. So on Monday, May 2nd, at 545 to 8 p.m. at 224 West Winton Avenue in Hayward, California, um, they're going to the Planning Commission um, and uh, to try to get, to try to ban fracking. So here's, here's what they're doing here. This is from uh, Food and Water Watch. It says, guess what? oil industry the game is up the showdown is on we've been pushing to ban fracking and other extreme oil extraction methods in alameda county for years at every turn the oil industry has thrown up roadblocks but the people of alameda county have a message we're tired of waiting we demand the strongest ban on fracking and extreme extraction possible it's the only thing that will protect our water our families and our health and we won't be silent uh join the Food and Water Watch uh, for the most critical hearing of the campaign yet, a showdown at the Planning Commission. Um, so you should definitely check out foodandwaterwatch.org, and it's all right there on their calendar. Actually, one of the speakers last week at Earth Day was the Northern California organizer for Food and Water Watch, uh, Ella Tivan, and she was very very positive and, and, and ebullient, and she had a lot of great information to share um, about what Food and Water Watch is trying to do. And did you know, this is something I learned from Earth Day, did you know 
that the water so fracking right fracking like shoots millions of gallons of water and and poisonous chemicals deep 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 into the earth into these shale beds to try to release the last remaining fossil fuels uh oils and gases um but then they have all these you know for to to try to maintain levels of uh, oil and gas uh, in the in the economy that we live in and we drive our cars on mostly so i mean we we we, we throw around the word toxic chemicals but these are just highly poisonous chemicals um benzene and other things um that get mixed into this water shot deep into the earth um you know through the water table all sorts of things um but then there's all this water that that is left over this uh this this water that's that's been used to frack and so this is really poisonous highly toxic terrible water that some of the farms in in california are using to irrigate our crops namely you know those little halo clementines that you see at the store all over with those cute little stickers of faces of little little you know little oranges you know ding got their halo up there or they're you know they've got a snow hat on and they're going through the snow and it says cool you know it's got a great uh, appealing little cuteness to their to their product um and actually i read a box the of 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 it read the the box that they came in and it, and it says it's non-gmo so you're like hey it's non-gmo it's kind of cheap it's right here at my store but according to food and water watch the people who grow halos are using fracking water to irrigate the crops that's just one thing i learned at earth day last week so if you don't want to be eating food that is using poisonous chemical-laced water uh, to irrigate it, you might want to contact these companies who are actually purchasing this fracked water, uh, fr fracking water, uh, to irrigate their crops. And you might want to check out what foodandwaterwatch.org are looking into. Um, so if you're interested in trying to ban fracking in Alameda County, you can go out Monday night, May 2nd, 545 to 8 p.m. to the Planning Commission meeting. Again, that's at 224 West Winton Avenue in Hayward, California. Sorry, I had to let you know. Uh, sometimes the truth is ugly, but uh, we need to know these things and, and we can't turn our back and ignore it. And so I want to thank everybody who came out to Earth Day and Cesar Chavez Day last week um, to to share what is possible. And we know that there has been a huge uh, victory against fracking in New York State. And so if New York can do it, folks, so can California to isolate us in a dimension called loneliness. Greed a parent, insecurity the happiness companion, genocide conceived in sophistication, technologic material civilization, a rationalization, replacing a way to live, trying to isolate us in a dimension called loneliness. To God, we hope you don't mind, but we would like to talk to you.
There are some things we need to straighten out. It's about these Christians. They claim to be from your nation. But man, you should see the things they do all the time, blaming it on you. Manifest destiny, genocide, maximized profit, sterilization, raping the earth, lying, taking more than they need in all the forms of the greed. We ask them why. They say it's God's will. Damn God, they make it so hard. Remember Jesus? Would you send him back to them? Tell them not to kill him. Rather they should listen. Stop abusing his name and yours. We do not mean to be disrespectful, but you know how it is. Our people have their own ways. We never even heard of you until not long ago. Your representative spoke magnificent things of you, which we were willing to believe. But from the way they acted, we know you and we were being deceived. We do not mean you or your Christian children any bad, but you all came to take all we had. We have not seen you, but we have heard so much. It is time for you to decide what life is worth. We already remember, but maybe you forgot. Look at us. Look at us. We are of earth and water. Look at them. It is the same. Look at us. We are suffering all these years. Look at them. They are connected. Look at us. We are in pain. Look at them, surprised at our anger. Look at us. We are struggling to survive. Look at them, expecting sorrow be benign. Look at us. We are the ones called pagan. Look at them on their arrival. Look at us, we are called subversive. Look at them descending from name callers. Look at us, we wept sadly in the long dark. Look at them hiding in technologic light. Look at us, we buried the generations. Look at them inventing the body count. Look at us, we are older than America. Look at them chasing a fountain of youth. Look at us, we are embracing earth. Look at them clutching today. Look at us, we are living in the generations. Look at them existing in jobs and debt. Look at us, we have escaped many times. Look at them, they cannot remember. Look at us, we are healing. Look at them, their medicine is patented. Look at us, we are trying. Look at them, what are they doing? Look at us, we are children of earth. Look at them, who are they? listening to mutinyradio.fm again that was a little poetry and music from John Trudell uh, who just passed over to the other plane a few months a couple months ago actually Um, he speaks for himself this is free speech radio Um, but one thing I wanted to highlight being this this is women's magazine um, I got a I got a notice today from the NARAL uh, pro-choice Um, campaign Um, and there's a petition out there right now to tell Congress to repeal the anti-choice gag rule on AmeriCorps Um, so AmeriCorps is is a volunteer organization um, that engages in various uh, jobs like teaching and and community resources um, uh, across the country and and it's kind of a cool program because if you're an AmeriCorps volunteer you get a stipend but then once you finish your AmeriCorps service you get a reduction of your student loans Um, so it's nice it's it's kind of a cool transition out of college uh, into a career path perchance or at least to gain some experience and you're also you know you're also serving 
communities across the country. So AmeriCorps, um, so um, l let me read to you a little bit about this uh, petition that the, that NARAL Pro-Choice has, has been uh, is talking about. So AmeriCorps volunteers work to strengthen communities that need it most, and the health centers they staffed often serve low-income people and people of color. But if a woman goes to one of these centers seeking abortion care, AmeriCorps volunteers are prevented by law from helping her by providing full information about reproductive health care options. Um, so there is this, this gag order on AmeriCorps to not help women access legal abortions. Um, they're essentially... If, if somebody comes to them and are asking about, you know, uh, these these reproductive health, you know, problems or options, um, by law, AmeriCorps volunteers have this gag order, and they're supposed to kind of play dumb and and not help them if they want to obtain an abortion. So this is this is by law here in 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 this country. So um, so narrow pro-choice has a petition right now to tell Congress to repeal the gag rule that prevents AmeriCorps volunteers from referring women for abortion care. Um, so definitely check it, check that out. Um, I posted on my Facebook page, NARAL is N-A-R-A-L pro-choice America. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're just looking out to protect this, you know, this right to, uh, to abortion, which is a right for women to choose what to do with their bodies and uh, and their lives, and um, it's been legal since Roe versus Wade, but we we've seen that even since then, um, there's a huge push of you know moral high ground um, that are against abortion, and you know I, it doesn't really matter to me whether or not you believe in abortion, you know, or not, or how you feel about it. I'm sure, you know, there's not always just a black and white, um, there's a lot of gray area. Uh, of course, when we think about women who, or girls, you know, who are, who are raped and become pregnant, um, you know, thinking about areas of this country where abortion has been highly limited, um, maybe, maybe all the clinics in your state have been closed. And so maybe you're a 16 year old trying to get across two states to try to get an abortion or, you know, stay home and, and have your, um, the, the baby that you, uh, got impregnated with because you were raped. Um, maybe it was somebody, you know, maybe it was somebody you don't know, most likely it was somebody, you know, um, statistically speaking. Um, and of course, you know, pregnancy is, is highly risky. Um, you know, health-wise, a lot, a lot of things can happen to the woman, um, and often it's it comes down to a choice between the woman's life and the unborn child's life. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people in this country who say doesn't matter about the woman. Um, we're pro-life. We want, you know, we want to support this unborn child. But my question is, if you're pro-life, are you willing to let a woman die? Just a question. Enchanting today with your magic. Tomorrow can't help but to be good. You brought the world back to me when I thought I wanted to drift away. You're my heart take, taking me to joy, gentling me during a life storm, lifting me between the clouds and the sky. 
bringing me in view of the sun. The first time your eyes caressed mine, to say it was like magic is to tame the gentle passion and moments shared in the seeing of a glance. You took my hand and opened my heart to the beauty of what I did not see. I tried to understand why and how these things happened, but you explained so much with your laughing eye to make me not waste my time worrying or wondering is this meant to be. The first time your eyes caressed mine, the wind sang their songs. The sunshine shivered with joy, warming the light within me. Tender love and sheltered moments, blowing my mind from the beginning. I was drifting through, trying, trying to live a life. Good things happening suddenly. When the days were dark, you brought the sunlight nights, touching me in your being. Tender love and shelter moments. You were fame, you were fortune, you were peace, you were vision. Things I thought I wanted and things I really needed, blowing my mind from the beginning. Your kiss melted the night. Beauty burned in forever fires. Heartbreak, heart beating wild, flaming love, sparks and stars showering the world. Tomorrow is today is yesterday. In your kiss, time didn't have a chance. Tender love and sheltered moments. Sparks of love flying all over the earth. That's what we'd like to see here. That's what I'd like to see. You're listening to Women's Magazine with Global Val. Thanks for listening. Uh, another event that's coming up, I want to make the announcement about uh, San Francisco event. Um, on May Thursday, May 5th, there's going to be a city hall hearing, um, and it's going to be talking about um, Supervisor David Campos, who has proposed legislation to create more navigation centers in San Francisco. And the navigation centers are for the homeless. We have a huge homeless crisis right now in San Francisco and a housing crisis in general. Um, Last count, um, as of a couple months ago, a report came out that there were 7,000 homeless people in San Francisco. And um, these big, you know, kind of homeless camps popped up on Division Street and down on Bayshore. Um, it was wild. They were just like streets, streets, just like filled and lined with tents. Um, and of course, the cost of living here in San Francisco is exorbitant. So a lot of these people who are homeless on the streets of San Francisco are former residents of San Francisco with an address who can no longer afford to live in their apartments because there's such a huge rent hike. Um, and, uh, you know... Well, the culture of greed. Hey, um, let's just say it out there. So um, if you are available to go chime in uh, at the um, at this meeting, the city hall hearing, again, it's going to be Thursday, May 5th. It starts at 9.30 a.m. This is going to be the second item on the agenda, and uh, it's at city hall in room 263, room 263, Thursday, May 5th, starting at 9.30 a.m., um, so uh, to discuss the, the solutions, what are some of the solutions to uh, these street encampments? Um, you know, I want you to just imagine that uh, y- you've been kicked out and yet you still have a job in your town, but you can't afford the rent anymore. Um, but you have uh, you have your, your job here, your friends here, your doctors here, uh, your friends uh, nearby or, or not. Maybe they're far away. Um, and then you're forced to choose between trying to 
leave town without a job um, or live in town, maybe in your car if you have one, or join the many, many people who are living on the streets and have limited or no access to uh, bathroom facilities, showers, um, you know, your mail, um, correspondence. Uh, it's a very serious situation and a lot of people here are in San Francisco are, are trying to work towards solutions. Um, there's a St. Francis Homelessness Challenge uh, group um, that was formed by Amy Weiss and, um, and and they've been doing a lot so I just want to let you guys know that you can go out there to the to the government audit and oversight committee meeting um, to, uh, to, to uh, hear about and discuss Supervisor Campus's Navigation Center legislation, which would require the city to build more navigation centers and to address street homelessness. And so it's going to be heard and voted on at that committee meeting. So I'm going to end the show today. It is National Poetry Month, but I like to end the show with poetry anyway. And this is about a homeless man that I have uh, recently had some interactions with. TJ's sign says that he's dying, and I believe him. Over four months, he's gotten more gray and gaunt, and today his sign asked for someone to give him a chance, and that Friday might be his last. I find that he's crying, so I give up my green light right of way and stay to say hello, ask him where he has to go. Golden Gate Park, he says. Are there good people or bad people there these days? Depends on where you go. Ask him if he's got a friend. There's one. I tell him, I don't know what I can do for him, but I promise to keep checking in. Tell him not to stay in the shadow too long. Move into the sun and be warm. I touch his shoulder as I depart, so perhaps he'll feel the healing in his heart. I'm Global Val. Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. Be sure to tune in to Women's Magazine on KPFA 94.1 FM on Mondays from 1 to 2 p.m. And uh, keep being good to each other. All right. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like trying to save the planet, that inspiration is...
Welcome to Weekly Review. This is Roman. This is a pre-recorded episode. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, and this will most likely be played on Friday, September 23rd. So just heard a song called Pigs Will Pay. That says it all. And uh, for this week's episode, I am playing two clips. Uh, one is from 1966 of Stokely Carmichael speaking at UC Berkeley. So it's 50 years ago, and you can see... I don't even need to give it any commentary. Uh, just listen to it. And then after that, there's a speech from Angela Davis from UC Davis uh, in 2008. So listen in, and we'll be back uh, next week. Thank you very much. It's a privilege and an honor to be in the white intellectual ghetto of the web. We wanted to do a couple of things before we started. The first is that based on the fact that SNCC, uh, through the articulation of its program by its chairman, has been able to win elections in Georgia, Alabama, Maryland, and by our appearance here, will win an election in California, 1968, I'm going to run for President of the United States. Uh, I just can't make it because I wasn't born in the United States. That's the only thing holding me back. 
We wanted to say that this is a student conference, as it should be, held on a campus, and that we're not ever to be caught up in the intellectual masturbation of the question of black power. That's a function of people who are advertisers that call themselves reporters. Oh, for my members and friends of the press, my self-appointed white critics, I was reading uh, Mr. Bernard Shaw two days ago, and I came across a very important quote, which I think is most apropos for you. He says, all criticism is a autobiography. Dig yourself. Okay. The philosophers Camus and Sartre raised the question whether or not a man can condemn himself. The black existentialist philosopher who was pragmatic, Franz Fanon, answered the question. He said that man could not. Camus and Sartre does not. We in SNCC tend to agree with Camus and Sartre that a man cannot condemn himself. Were he to condemn himself, he would then have to inflict punishment upon himself. An example would be the Nazis. Any prisoner, any of the Nazi prisoners, who admitted after he was caught and incarcerated that uh, he committed crimes, that he killed all the many people that he killed, he committed suicide. The only ones who were able to stay alive were the ones who never admitted that they committed the crimes against people. That is, the ones who rationalized that Jews were not human beings and deserved to be killed, or that they were only following orders. On a more immediate scene, the officials and the population of the white population in uh, Neshoba County, Mississippi, that's where Philadelphia was, could not could not condemn Rainey, his deputies, and the other 14 men that killed three human beings. They could not because they elected Mr. Rainey to do precisely what he did, and that for them to condemn him will be for them to condemn themselves. In a much larger view, Snick says that white America cannot condemn herself, and since we are liberal, we have done it. You stand condemned. Now, a number of things then arises from that answer of how do you condemn yourselves. Seems to me that the institutions that function in this country are clearly racist and that they're built upon racism. And the question then is how can black people inside of this country move? And then how can white people who say they're not a part of those institutions begin to move? And how then do we begin to clear away the obstacles that we have in this society that make us live like human beings. How can we begin to build institutions that will allow people to relate with each other as human beings? This country has never done that, especially around the country of white and black. Now, several people have been upset because we said that integration was irrelevant when initiated by blacks, and that in fact it was a subterfuge, an insidious subterfuge 
for the maintenance of white supremacy. Now, we maintain that in the past six years or so, this country has been feeding us a thalatomite drug of integration, and that some Negroes have been walking down a dream street talking about sitting next to white people, and that that does not begin to solve the problem. That when we went to Mississippi, we did not go to sit next to Ross Barnett. We did not go to sit next to Jim Clark. We went to get them out of our way. And that people ought to understand that. That we were never fighting for the right to integrate. We were fighting against white supremacy. Now then, in order to understand white supremacy, we must dismiss the fallacious notion that white people can give anybody their freedom. No man can give anybody his freedom. A man is born free. You may enslave a man after he is born free. And that is, in fact, what this country does. It enslaves black people after they're born. So that the only act that white people can do is to stop denying black people their freedom. That is, they must stop denying freedom. They never give it to anyone. Now, we want to take that to logical extension so that we could understand, then, what its relevancy would be in terms of new civil rights bills. I maintain that every civil rights bill in this country was passed for white people, not for black people. For example, I am black. I know that. I also know that while I am black, I am a human being, and therefore I have the right to go into any public place. White people didn't know that. Every time I tried to go into a place, they stopped me. So some boys had to write a bill to tell that white man he's a human being. Don't stop him. That bill was for that white man, not for me. I knew it all the time. I knew it all the time. I knew that I could vote, and that that wasn't a privilege, it was my right. Every time I tried, I was shot, killed, or jailed, beaten, or economically deprived. So somebody had to write a bill for white people to tell them, when a black man comes to vote, don't bother him. That bill, again, was for white people, not for black people. So that when you talk about open occupancy, I know I can live any place I want to live. It is white people across this country who are incapable of allowing me to live where I want to live. You need a civil rights bill, not me. I know I can live where I want to live. So that the failure to pass a civil rights bill isn't because of black power, isn't because of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, is not because of the rebellions that are occurring in the major cities. It is incapability of whites to deal with their own problems inside their own communities. That is the problem of the failure of the Civil Rights Bill. And so in a larger sense, we must then ask, how is it that black people move? And what do we do? But the question in the greater sense is how can white people who are the majority and who are responsible for making democracy work, make it work? 
They have miserably failed to this point. They have never made democracy work, be it inside the United States, Vietnam, South Africa, the Philippines, South America, Puerto Rico, wherever America has been. She has not been able to make democracy work. So that in a larger sense, we not only condemn the country for what is done internally, but we must condemn it for what it does externally. We see this country trying to rule the world, and someone must stand up and start articulating that this country is not God and cannot rule the world. Now then, before we move on, we ought to develop the white supremacy attitudes that we're either conscious or subconscious of, and how they run rampant through the society today. For example, the missionaries were sent to Africa. They went with the attitude that blacks were automatically inferior. As a matter of fact, the first act the missionaries did, you know, when they get to Africa, was to make us cover up our bodies because they said it got them excited. We couldn't go bare-breasted anymore because they got excited. Now, when the missionaries came to civilize us because we were uncivilized, educate us because we were uneducated, and give us some, some literate studies because we were illiterate, they charged a price. The missionaries came with the Bible, and we had the land. When they left, they had the land, and we still have the Bible. And that has been the rationalization for Western civilization as it moves across the world and stealing and plundering and raping everybody in its path. Their one rationalization is that the rest of the world is uncivilized, and they are in fact civilized, and they are uncivilized. And that runs on today, you see, because what we have today is that we have what we call um, modern-day peace corps uh, missionaries, and they come into our ghettos, and they head start uh, upward lift, bootstrap, and upward bound us into white society. Because they don't want to face the real problem, which is a man is poor for one reason and one reason only, because he does not have money, period. If you want to get rid of poverty, you give people money, period. And you ought not to tell me about people who don't work and you can't give people money without working, because if that were true, you'd have to start stopping Rockefeller, Bobby Kennedy, Lyndon Bain Johnson, Lady Bird Johnson, the Hall of Standard Oil, the Gulf Club, all of them including probably a large number of the Board of Trustees of this university. So the question then clearly is not whether or not one can work, it's who has power. Who has power to make his or her act legitimate. That is all. And that this country, that power is invested in the hands of white people, and they make their act legitimate. It is now, therefore, for black people to make our acts legitimate. Now, we are engaged in a psychological 
struggle in this country, and that is whether or not black people will have the right to use the words they want to use without white people giving their sanction to it. And that we maintain whether they like it or not, we're going to use the word black power and let them address themselves to that. But that we are not going to wait for white people to sanction black power. We're tired waiting. Every time black people move in this country, they're forced to defend their position before they move. It's time that the people who are supposed to be defending their position do that. That's white people. They ought to start defending themselves as to why they have oppressed and exploited us. Now, it is clear that when this country started to move in terms of slavery, the reason for a man being picked as a slave was one reason, because of the color of his skin. If one was black, one was automatically inferior, inhuman, and therefore fit for slavery. So that the question of whether or not we are individually suppressed is nonsensical and it's a downright lie. We are oppressed as a group because we are black. Not because we're lazy, not because we're apathetic, not because we're stupid, not because we smell, not because we eat watermelon and have good rhythm. Right? <laughs> we are oppressed because we are black. And in order to get out of that oppression, one must wield the group power that one has, not the individual power which this country then sets the criteria under which a man may come into it. That is what is called in this country as integration. You do what I tell you to do and then we'll let you sit at the table with us. And that we are saying that we have to be opposed to that. We must now set a criteria and that if there's going to be any integration, it's going to be a two-way thing. If you believe in integration, you can come live in what? You can send your children to the ghetto schools. Let's talk about that. If you believe in integration, then we're going to start adopting us some white people to live in our neighborhood. So it is clear that the question is not one of integration or segregation. Integration is a man's ability to want to move in there by himself. If someone wants to live in a white neighborhood and he is black, that is his choice. It should be his right. It is not because white people will not allow him. So vice versa, if a black man wants to live in the slums, that should be his right. Black people will let him. That is the difference. And it's a difference on which this country makes a number of logical mistakes when they begin to try to criticize the program articulated by SNCC. Now, we maintain that we cannot be afford to be concerned about 6% of the children in this country, black children, who you allow to come into white schools. We have 94% who still live in shacks. We are going to be concerned about those 94%. You ought to be concerned about them, too. The question is, are we willing to be concerned about those 94%? Are we willing to be concerned about the black people who will never get to Berkeley, who will never get to Harvard, and cannot get an education, so you'll never get a chance to rub shoulders with them and say, well, he's almost as good as we are. He's not like the others. The question is, how can white society begin to move to see black people as human beings? I am black, therefore I am. Not that I am black and I must go to college to prove myself. I am black, therefore I am. And don't deprive me of anything and say to me that you must go to college before you gain access to X, Y, and Z. It is only a rationalization for one's oppression. The, the political parties in this country do not meet the needs of people on a day-to-day -day basis. 
The question is how can we build new political institutions that will become the political expressions of people on a day-to-day -day basis? The question is how can you build political institutions that will begin to meet the needs of Oakland, California. And the needs of Oakland, California is not 1,000 policemen with submachine guns. They don't need that. They need that least of all. The question is how can we build institutions where those people can begin to function on a day-to-day -day basis where they can get decent jobs, where they can get decent houses, and where they can begin to participate in the policy and major decisions that affect their lives. That's what they need, not Gestapo troops, because this is not 1942, and if you play like Nazis, we playing back with you this time around. Get hip to that. The question then is how can white people move to start making the major institutions that they have in this country function the way it is supposed to function? That is the real question. And can white people move inside their own community and start tearing down racism where in fact it does exist? Where it exists. It is you who live in Cicero and stop us from living there. It is white people who stop us from moving into Grenada. It is white people who make sure that we live in the ghettos of this country. It is white institutions that do that. They must change in order, in order for America to really live on a basic principle of human relationships, a new society must be born. Racism must die and the economic exploitation of this country of non-white peoples around the world must also die must also die. Now there are several programs that we have in the South amongst some poor white communities. We're trying to organize poor whites on a base where they can begin to move around the question of economic exploitation and political disfranchisement. We know we've heard this theory several times, but few people are willing to go into there. The question is, can the white activists not try to be a Pepsi generation who comes alive in a black community, but can he be a man who's willing to move into the white community and start organizing where the organization is needed? Can he do that? The question is, can the white society or the white activists disassociate himself with two clowns who waste time parrying with each other rather than talking about the problems that are facing people in this state. Can you disassociate yourself with those clowns and start to build new institutions that will eliminate all idiots like them? And the question is, if we are going to do that, when and where do we start and how do we start? We maintain that we must start doing that inside the white community. Our own personal position politically is that we don't think the Democratic Party represents the needs of black people. We know it don't. And that if, in fact, white people really believe that, the question is if they're going to move inside that 
structure, how are they going to organize around a concept of whiteness based on true brotherhood and based on stopping exploitation, economic exploitation, so that there will be a coalition base for black people to hook up with. You cannot form a coalition based on national sentiment. That is not a coalition. If you need a coalition to redress itself to real changes in this country, white people must start building those institutions inside the white community. And that is the real question, I think, facing the white activists today. Can they, in fact, begin to move into and tear down the institutions which have put us all in a trick bag that we've been into for the last hundred years? I don't think that we should follow... Let us watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman and Carl. Let us watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Car Michael Spiegelman and Carl. La-da-da. Da, 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 da. Michael Spiegel Michael Spiegel Spiegelman Michael Spiegel Michael Spiegel